0: Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deep Dive podcast.
1: RJ, it's December already. How did that happen? I know the season's going by so quickly. I I, I don't know how we're already here. December 5th uh, on the Deep Dive podcast. And I mean, I, I guess... You know, we're finding out in general because Dave Haxtell did give us the warning. He said, I'm only giving you the lineup stuff until uh, until November, but he did give us one treat today.
0: That is true, and we're definitely going to start with that one. Big, big news when it comes to Shane Wright, uh, also going to be covering uh, the Hack conference that you attended, as well as our deep dive into the Kraken penalty kill, which, as we all know, not looking so hot lately, <laughs> to <laughs> say at least. But uh, to to come back around to, to the focus here on the deep dive presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall, uh, we're going to start with Shane Wright because that is probably the biggest story right now around the Seattle Kraken. Shane Wright finished his five game stint in the OHL with Coachella Valley Firebirds. He is back with the Seattle Kraken. And as you just alluded to, RJ, got some even
1: bigger news around that. That's right. So, uh Dave haxtell he he has joked around with us, you know, once December rolls around, he can't be telling us lineup stuff. Uh but he gave us a big treat today, actually a day early too, cuz the game's not till tomorrow, but he did confirm that Shane Wright will be in the lineup tomorrow against the Montreal Canadiens. We know uh, how big of a matchup that is, you know, from the media perspective and um you know, of course, the right versus Slavkovsky thing, thinking back to the draft. And uh, yeah, I'm thankful to the couple of members of the Montreal media who, who did ask that question point blank. Will he play tomorrow? I think that might be just the power of the Montreal media. I was talking with them after that. They're like, yeah, you know, it's uh, it may, maybe I got a little bit more gravitas there.
0: Well, I was just going to say, did he think that we, uh, you know, had re- already recorded the deep dive earlier this morning before trap <laughs> before practice like we normally do, but we you know, waited till after practice on this one because we wanted to know what was going on with deep dive. Like, did he just, you know, assume he was going to do his normal like, oh, you guys just released the deep dive here. I've got breaking news.
1: You know what? That's that's probably it. Um so yeah, so he, he made sure and volunteered that and then someone asked, Well, does that mean the geeky's out tomorrow? He's like, Well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> oh wait, <a laughs> I second. gave you something. Don't you know, don't get too greedy there.
0: Yeah, that is funny. I was just gonna say, win or lose after tomorrow night's game, RJ, you gotta ask that question though, about the deep dive. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's the most pressing question. Regardless of how Shane Wright plays, that's got to be the first question asked. Um, so Shane Wright coming back in, uh, yeah, obviously don't know for sure that he would be coming in to replace Morgan Geeky, who's missed the last several games uh, after taking that hit from Adam Larson uh, against the Ducks. Um, I think that's that's probably the assumption most people are going to be operating under. It kind of feels like the safe one that we have to be uh, thinking about a little bit, um, but. You know, we we talked about it in uh, after the Florida game, mentioned it a little bit after the Washington game. The fourth line hasn't felt the same without Morgan Geeky in there. Like, it it just hasn't had that same kind of oomph. I've I've felt like the transition game hasn't quite been there. They were really good at attacking and winning with speed and getting scoring chances off of transitions or or just with speed entering the zone, controlled entries, getting somebody to be able to split the defense going down the middle. A lot of Morgan Geeky's goals this season have been scored that way. And wouldn't you know it? During his entire stint with Coachella Valley, Shane Wright has worked a lot on attacking out of the transition game and playing with a lot of speed and feeling more confident as far as driving the net in the offensive zone. So um, I'm, I'm wondering if Shane Wright is going to kind of be the perfect medicine to fix what's going on with the with the Kraken's bottom six right now.
1: I think he just might be, and uh, it allows the Kraken to move things around a little bit too. We saw some different line combinations in the bottom six today at today's practice, and one of the other notable things is that Ryan Donato moves up onto the third line with Yanni Gord and Oliver Bjorkstrand, while uh, Brandon Tanev down onto the fourth line with Shane Wright and Daniel Sprong. So it's a bit of a different look there uh, on the left wing as well, and Ryan Donato had kind of had to... uh, do spot duty at center with Morgan geeky out, which, you know, center, he can do it, but it's not Donato's natural position. So uh, I think this just works well all around.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we've we've spent time talking about Shane Wright, what he's been doing in Coachella Valley. We all know about the four goals in the five games and and all of that. Although his shooting percentage from last week, RJ, has dipped back down to reality, no longer at 80%. I think he finished around 36%. Um, but like I said, I, I really felt that that, that focus on transition, that focus on working speed into his game and just the overall, you know, building up of confidence in the AHL, building up that confidence playing with the Coachella Valley Firebirds, building up that that kind of, hey, remember, this is hockey, it's fun, you can be playing this every day, all of that good stuff for him. Uh, I really think that that's going to benefit him because when we look back at the seven games he's already played with the Kraken, one of the, you know, things that I would say is that He never looked like he was in attack mode in the offensive zone. He always played very reserved, played very high up in the offensive zone. And part of that is how he played a little bit in Kingston. But a lot of times also, he likes to be down more towards the net. He likes to be off on that right side if you're kind of looking at the opposing netminder. He likes to get down there, get open, get behind defenses to be able to take shots. And we saw with Coachella Valley more of that was worked into his game. He was starting to go towards the net more. He was shooting from that right side more. And so I'm really, really curious if he can take that confidence he's built and that more um, kind of natural style of his game and being able to get that into some game action against some good competition if that follows him back up to the NHL.
1: And this morning he talked about taking what he was doing in Coachella Valley and the way he was playing and and all the high minutes and the touches, everything that he was doing right, and transitioning that over to the Kraken. That's basically what he wants to do is kind of take that blueprint of his game and just transition it into his time with seattle so i think that's kind of what the goal is uh he did talk about the whole shooting percentage thing i think the question was uh you know you scored four goals on your first five shots down there yeah you know are you gonna keep that up up here <laughs> can you continue that and he said well one can hope uh but uh that, that was kind of a, a you know a funny question but um yeah i mean his right basically said that like the time down there made a huge difference for him Getting those high minutes, getting lots of touches. You mentioned puck touches a lot, Mm -hmm. um, and then how much that helped his confidence. Confidence is a word you just mentioned. It's a word that was thrown around a lot today, uh, as far as the effect of him going down uh, to the AHL and spending that stint there.
0: Yeah, and you know, to 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 move away from just Shane Wright for a second, uh, that's something that I I thought was kind of intriguing. As I was thinking about it more, as you know, knowing we were going to be talking about this today, uh, was just the idea of look. That's that's obviously how the Kraken want to play, and it's obvious that's how the coaching staff for Coachella Valley treated Shane Wright. I'm really looking forward to this kind of you know um, similar style. Uh, for the whole kind of pipeline there. The, the fact that you can send prospects down to Coachella Valley and they're going to learn how the Kraken want to play. They're going to be put in positions that they're going to be put in with the Kraken so they can learn that style, be prepared for it, know what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I'm really, really happy with that because you know sometimes some AHL teams will run kind of different systems to what the NHL club is doing and it can make transitions as injuries happen and you need to call somebody up a little bit more difficult. But at least in this situation, uh, around Shane Wright, it feels like everybody very much on the same page with everything, and uh, I think that's going to really help him out because it, it does mean he can just kind of slide into that Kraken lineup and just keep doing what he's already been working on, what he's already starting to feel comfortable with in games, and just keep that all rolling.
1: Yeah, and Shane talked about that this morning, too, about the systems being pretty similar to what he was used to in Seattle and able to kind of slide right in and right out. Um, And he said, obviously, you know, different coaches are going to have different approaches to the game. No two coaches are going to be the same, uh, but the systems were pretty easy, pretty standard uh, to adjust to. Yeah. So now the the other question when it
0: comes to Shane Wright overall and, and all of that is going to be, you know, what is what is the plan beyond just tomorrow's game against Montreal? Right, so we all know that um, they've been, you know, or at least we've been talking about the idea of them sending him uh, to Team Canada's camp for the World Juniors. World Junior tournament kicks off on December 26th, so there's there's still time there before the tournament. Although you'd want to get him in for camp and get used to everybody, let them figure out what their line combinations are going to be, all that kind of stuff. Uh, do you have any read after being around everybody today at practice? Uh, what the kind of timeline could be here like are we going to see just tomorrow could we see maybe two games get him up to that nine mark for the entry-level contract before he goes to the world juniors like do you do you have any sense of what the kraken are feeling right now
1: I think everybody was pretty tight lipped on the timeline. Shane was asked point blank about going to world juniors. Is that something you'd want to do? And he clarified no decision has been made on that yet. He doesn't know anything about it. Uh, But of course, you know, the line anytime you have a chance to represent your country, uh, he he called it it would be a tough tough to pass up is what he said about it um so i'm sure that's something that he would be interested in doing if if that's kind of what the organization what everyone feels is best for him Uh, as for the timeline i kind of asked about that too and he said basically going forward he's he's not sure at least shane didn't really know um and actually he was asked if, if he knew he'd be in the lineup tomorrow against montreal and he said no he didn't know yet so then about five minutes later we talked to dave haxtell and he uh, volunteered that information. So um, I, I don't think that that they're really going to share much of what that plan is until it happens.
0: Yeah. Uh, then let me ask you this just as uh, uh, just, you now. um what okay. do you think? Do you think the, that tomorrow night could inform what they then do as far as getting him into another game? Do you think that if he does play out those two games and let's say the Kraken win both games, he looks good. Maybe he gets a goal somewhere in there. Um, Do you think that informs what the Kraken would want to do? Or do you think that that they're just they're going to stick to still whatever plan they have in place, whatever it is that they've all talked about and agreed on, and they're going to keep doing that no matter what, even if it looks like this stint in the AHL, you know, kind of got them on track for what they want
1: at the NHL level? Well, I think this game coming up could change things to an extent. And again, this is just my read on it, Mm -hmm. Um, because I think. Again, I don't know what the plan is. I would imagine that the world juniors is a part of that plan yeah. and that they there's certainly, if a decision has been made on that, certainly Ron Francis and, and Dave Haxtell are, are leaning one way or another with that right now, mm-hmm. I, I think. And they're going to stick with that. I don't think they're going to change that based on how he plays, but until then, I think they're going to go with Dave Haxtell is going to go with basically his MO so far this season is he's going to put together the lineup he feels has gives them the best chance to win the game. And, what Shane Wright does tomorrow, I think that can certainly influence what Haxtell thinks as far as what lineup gives him the best chance to win the game. If Morgan Geeky is is not healthy uh, for that Washington game coming up and, and Shane Wright's there, he had a good game against Montreal. I think he could play his way into the lineup. Um, or even if Geeky is healthy, maybe someone else didn't have a good game. Uh, so. I think yeah he can he can potentially get himself games uh, going into the World Juniors. I don't know when the the camp is for it when it starts. Do we still have a solid date on that?
0: Uh, I still hadn't seen anything. I know it was rumored to start around today. Was kind of like the the you know the week of the fifth at least. So got to think maybe later on. I got to think though that Shane Wright would kind of have an an in like he he doesn't need to show yeah. up first day of camp to try to earn his roster spot. You know what I mean? I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, I kind of have a similar feel about it. I think what what this is is it's almost a rehearsal for what they want to do post World Juniors. And and I feel like uh this game potentially getting him into one more game after that getting him up to that 9 games that you can do without burning the year. I think that's going to be you know part of what makes the decision for them as well as his performance at the World Juniors about whether or not he's going to come back from from that tournament and, you know, stay with the Kraken or go back to, to Kingston or the OHL at the very least. Um, I think that they, they liked what they saw from Coachella Valley. I don't see how you couldn't like what you saw from him at Coachella Valley. And I think that they really would be curious. I know if I was, you know, Ron Francis or if I was Dave Haxtell or if I was anybody kind of involved in the overall development of a prospect, I would be very, very curious to see how well that confidence level, how well those lessons, how well that kind of change up of just a little bit in style affects him in these couple of games. Because even if he doesn't light up the stat sheet, Against Montreal, if he comes out and he plays with the level of confidence he was playing in Coachella Valley, that's enough for me to say that he let's just burn that year of the entry level contract. Let's keep him at the NHL level. Let's keep him working with our skill coaches. Let's keep him um, around all of the guys, and let's get him into as many games as possible. As we, you know, are a competitive team and we are trying to build a playoff run, uh, I think that that would be very beneficial for him to be around. If he comes back into the lineup and he looks kind of shy offensively the way he did previously, if he's not taking advantage of, say, them giving him, you know, power play unit two duties where he can maybe line up on that right side and be aggressive with his shot if he wants to. If he if if he's not doing those things, he's not working on keeping his speed in the defensive zone so he can help out any transition going the other way. If he doesn't do any of that stuff when he plays tomorrow night against Montreal, then that's maybe where I would I would start taking a step back and I would say, okay, Let's maybe think about sending him back to junior. Let's keep that year on the ELC. Let's focus on just making the playoffs this year with the club and we can go from there. That's just, you know, if I was in that situation anyway, that's that's the kind of stuff that I would be looking for tomorrow night and potentially beyond uh, to try to get a read on whether or not I would want to keep him around. And so I'm, I'm guessing that's probably what they're also thinking.
1: Right. I would think so. And um, you touched on it a little bit there, but I want to hear you elaborate a little bit more just because I, I know you've got, you know, that scouting background. You're really good. Uh, you know, you did your whole scouting video on Shane Wright. You kind of watched him progress from that last year of juniors to where he is now. And I know you're going to be watching tomorrow's game very closely. Mm-hmm. What do you want to see from Shane Wright in tomorrow's game?
0: Yeah, uh, so I want to see him. I want to see him attack with the puck. I want to see him attack away from the puck. Uh, to me, the 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 quintessential Shane Wright shift from everything that I watched of him in uh, Kingston was somebody who was going to make a defensive play, get the puck in transition, do a controlled entry on the left side. This is just what he does: controlled entry on the left side, stays up high though, doesn't really try to drive into the zone, makes a pass to somebody around the slot. And then he immediately kind of crisscrosses with them and books it and goes and settles in behind the defense on the right side where he'll wait for a one-timer or a rebound opportunity. That was just so much of, if you go back and you watch you know, any of the like highlight packages on YouTube or something of Shane Wright goals, so many of them start that way, or Shane Wright highlights for Major Junior. That's just what so many of them are. And we saw at the NHL level, he was doing a lot of controlled zone entries on the left side, but he wasn't then attacking and going, you know, trying to get behind the NHL defenses and going to that right side where he could wait for a, for a shooting opportunity. He didn't really do that. He would then just stay high and kind of float around up high and make sure he could help out defensively if anything got going the other way. And I understand wanting to do that, especially early on. You want to prove to your coaching staff, hey, look, I'm defensively responsible, all that stuff. But The way the rest of the Kraken have been playing, like we had just talked about, that fourth line in particular, they'd been winning with transition, they'd been winning with speed, they'd won by attacking opposing defenses aggressively. so And and that's what he was doing with Coachella Valley. So many of the goals you see from him are him receiving the puck in transition, him either splitting the defense or driving the lane or having time and space on the right side so he can pick his shot, which was seemingly always to the left of a goaltender. Um, (laughs) And and so going for that. So for tomorrow, what I would love to see from him is I'd love to see more of those quintessential Kingston shifts where I want to see him enter on the left side cycle around up high and then dive down once he gets over to the right side I really think that that's if I see that from him then I'm like okay Shane Wright is here that's the Shane Wright I remember watching before that's the Shane Wright that I know the Kraken scouted and he feels comfortable and confident enough at the NHL level to play his game which is all that we want from him because his game is really good that's why he was in the conversation for first overall pick so I want to see that I want to see if he's on the power play we saw him on the power play a little bit before with the Kraken, I want to see if he's on the power play, I want to see him you know, maybe receive that puck up high. If he has the time and space, take some steps in and then get his shot off just like in Kingston. I want to see that from him because I just want to see him attacking. If he's going to go back to being a little more reserved, a little more shy, especially in the offensive zone, like I said earlier, I don't think that that means he's kind of ready for the NHL. I feel like if you want to make the NHL as an 18-year-old, you have to be comfortable, you have to be confident, and you have to attack in the offensive zone. So I want to see shots from him tomorrow night. Let Just just bring up the, the little John shot, shot, shots. Like yeah, Just yeah. go for it. That's what I want to see. I don't need to see goals. I don't need to see anything else. I want to see him try to get open when he doesn't have the puck, and I want to see him... Um, feel comfortable enough to to go deep in the zone and try to get shots off.
1: Now, one more element I want to talk about uh, of that, and I want to talk about it because Ron Francis did bring this up on, on a podcast uh, last week, and that was kind of hinting that maybe Shane Wright was taking too short of shifts. Mm-hmm. You know, he talked about, you know, his opportunities on the ice and maybe some of that being curtailed. It was maybe a little bit self-imposed just by going to the bench a little too early. Is that something you're also going to be looking for? I
0: think I think that's something that you know the coaching staff would know better. Like we we brought that up on post game lives. That was something that was talked about on Twitter on discourse with people because we were all kind of noticing that um, would be like you know after one transition opportunity he would you know going back the other way on that that next transition he would always head over to the bench. He'd raise his hand and he'd skate over to the bench, and it was hard to get a good read on that before because you know didn't know what Hackstall was telling him. Maybe the team wanted him to be taking short shifts. I don't right. know. Um, but I, that is something I'm going to be paying attention to. If they give him the ability to... If they're telling him internally, and we we have no way of actually knowing this, but if they're telling him, look, take the shift as long as possible until you really see us making us change... And then he continues to take that opportunity and he goes out there and he does this, uh, then that's a good sign to me. Again, it, it shows that he he really wants this and he feels comfortable and confident enough to take that opportunity. Uh, if they tell him that internally and you still see him as as you know, certain transitions are going, taking himself kind of off the ice before the shift has really been initiated, then that would be another thing that as an organization I'd be reading and saying like, okay, well, maybe he's then just not... Um, in the place that we necessarily would want him to be, as we're looking at going through a potential playoff push and a potential playoff run, we want players who are really going to be out there attacking and and going for it. I think that he has the stamina, he's got the skill level, he's got all the endurance that you would need to do a full regular NHL shift of forty five seconds to you know potentially a minute, whatever it may be. Uh, so I would like to see that because that's something that I love about Maddie, right? Is Matty like, basically, you got to almost drag him off the ice for every line change because he's always ready for that next transition, whether it's coming back and helping out the defense or it's getting on the attack that one more time. And there have been times where it's kind of gotten him into trouble, where he gets hung out to dry as everybody else goes off on a shift and he'll go in with the with the puck into the offensive zone and take a look around and there's only defenders. Um, so I, I I would like to see Shane Wright play full shifts. I don't want to see him kind of be the first guy off the ice for his line uh, each and every time. And I certainly uh, I got to think that at this point, after playing those Coachella Valley games, the the, the NHL club would want to see that as well.
1: Yeah, I I would think so. And that's certainly something I'm going to be looking for uh, in this game coming up. Now, last thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, and this one might be a little harder to quantify, but I guess the emotional side of things too, because given the matchup with Montreal, and I I know he's been downplaying it since draft day, but if you look at that draft documentary and Mm -hmm. he's mic'd up, he's there with his dad and the Habs don't pick him. And I, I believe his quote was, well, excited to play them now. Yeah. and the day is is almost here i mean it's gonna be that game I, I wonder you know how much has changed obviously in that time but um basically how, how he's gonna deal with the the emotions of everything and how anyone would and, and actually it's funny um hackstall got a question about that today as far as like you know with the draft and everything how do you want shane to do you want him to just like drop it and forget those emotions do you want him to like channel that and he's like well whatever works, basically I want to do whatever works for him. Um, you know, that's really what it's all about. he said, look, you guys are going to be talking about this a lot tomorrow, uh, but it's going to be a big story for you guys, but it's really not going to be a big story for us and our team. Um, but, you know, talking about Shane, cause we are the media. We got to talk yeah. about it on the emotional side. I mean, it's hard to tell because different things work for different people. I don't know. What would you do, Dylan? It's, it's so tough. Um, I guess I would, you know, if I've,
0: I, I, you and I have both been around a lot of professional athletes. Uh, we've, we've both been sports fans forever. We've, we've listened to them talk, right. And for anybody to get to the level that he's gotten to, to be an exceptional player at the OHL level, to, to go through that whole process, you obviously have to be someone who is, um, pretty emotionally well stable for one, but also, uh, you know, confidence, believe in yourself and be able to take any sort of adversity thrown your way and turn that into motivation. Because to be a professional athlete, especially an NHL player, you got to go play 82 regular season games where you're getting beat up night after night, where you're skating, you know, four miles potentially uh, out there on the ice where you've got to, you know, go out there and give it your all. Um, And it, it, it's a grind and you need things to keep you going in those moments. Um, And And they're always good at finding little things to to keep them going, whether it's us, the media, saying something about them and (laughs) and trying to prove us wrong or trying to prove, you know, a family member wrong or whatever it may be. And so I think that this is is a good situation for him where yes, if he needed that extra little bit to to feel that extra little bit of fire in him to go out there and to attack and to really try to prove in this game that could, you know, in some ways determine the rest of his season, uh, I think that, that it's a good thing that he's playing against Montreal. And it would be a good thing that he would have that thought process of, look, I got to go prove them wrong. I've got to go out there and outplay Slavkovsky. I've got to go out there and and show that they made a mistake for passing on me. That 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 all any concern that they might have had about me was unwarranted, and it, they were just made a bad call. Um, I think that it's also, you know, it's, it's a really interesting situation that he finds himself in because yeah, you have this great stint at the AHL, you build up all this confidence and it's like, Hey, welcome. Here's the Montreal media for you. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not a, you're
1: back to being reminded of something that, you know, is yeah. kind of disappointing for you.
0: Right. A, a big deal moment in your, in your hockey career as you were just starting your NHL journey. So I think a lot of things, uh, uh, you know, it, we're going to learn a lot about who Shane Wright is a little bit in this next game and this upcoming game, or at least who he is right now as an 18 year old which yeah. is a massive asterisk
1: <laughs> yeah exactly who he, who he is maybe right now in this moment not necessarily who he's he's going to be in his entire future as much as yeah. uh, maybe the Montreal media might some of it them might frame it that way mm-hmm. <laughs> but it'll be an interesting game
0: yeah I'm really looking forward to it so tomorrow night against Montreal Shane Wright gonna be in the lineup can't wait to see what that looks like RJ I am so pumped for it should be a, a good one now we're gonna we're gonna skip some game recaps here because we got uh, other stuff to talk about. And we just you know spent a good chunk of uh, time talking about Shane Wright, which I think was warranted. Um, but I did want to recap the Hack conference that you attended this past weekend um, and that many of us, I think, were able to watch. It was a very pleasant surprise morning of that it was going to be live stream. <laughs> uh, I was able to catch most of it uh, or at least go back on the VOD and, and watch what I wasn't able to see um, live. Uh, but I want to hear from someone who was actually there, and that is you, RJ. So uh, can you maybe just really, really briefly re-describe to everybody what it was and then just kind of take us through uh, how awesome it was to, to 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 be there in person for it.
1: Yeah, of course. Happy to do that. And so we'll start with, well, what is C-Hack? That was a question I've, I've gotten a lot over the last couple of weeks, including, you know, day of the conference. But C-Hack, so it's C, meaning Seattle, and then Hack H-A-C, Hockey Analytics Conference. So it is a hockey analytics conference hosted in Seattle. So that's what C-Hack is. And a lot of the top minds in hockey analytics uh, were all there together in the same place, uh, which made for a really great event. Um, and it was... Put on it was hosted by Allison Lucan, uh, which if you're listening to this, I, I bet you know who she is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I had seen, you know, all the hard work that that she had put into that over the last, you know, two three months, just getting everything set up. Uh, and the execution was fantastic, as you'd imagine from anything that that Allison really put her mind to uh, an event to put on. Um, it, it was a really great event. It started uh, around 8, 8, eight thirty in the morning and went till about four thirty in the afternoon. So a long conference, uh, where you had speaker, various speakers, panels, and then you'd have kind of breaks in between, there was a lunch in the middle. Um, so that's, that's what C hack is. Yeah. And then
0: I got to think that it was you know really cool. Cause it is a, it is a conference, right. And it, for Red Glare listeners, they would understand why I'm kind of going there. Right. Is it a conference? Yes. It's it a is conference. a conference. Yeah. Yes. So, um, one of the, you know, that's, that's part of it is also, it's an opportunity for, um, it's an opportunity for, for people like like us uh, or for other fans to, to potentially go and, and learn more about what's being done in the analytics space but it's also an opportunity for those already in the analytics space to um, be able to network and, and learn what mm-hmm. each other you know are, are, are working on at any sort of given um, thing and, and and like I said network get to know each other, get to see each other and, and, um, and have stuff like that. So RJ as someone who's coming at it you know more so from a media side, what were some mm-hmm. of the things that stood out to you what was some of the the the, the talks or presentations that that maybe you know piqued your interest I, besides just aging curves like you, I'll let you talk about that a little <laughs> bit but like I don't know that we need to spend too much time on it
1: Okay. I'll try and limit myself here because I, on the top of my list on my notes, I have aging curves. Um, (laughs) But yeah, there were a lot of interesting uh, panels and presentations and speaking about them generally, what I liked most was that there was really something for everybody, no matter if you were just a a newer hockey fan who had only started following this season, and you just wanted to learn more about the sport or whether you are, you know, at seasoned mathematician and, and a total stats nerd. Uh, there was something for you at this conference. And I, I think that variety was great to see, you know, first and foremost. And and I think given where I'm at, you know, it being is part of the hockey media, I was kind of able to enjoy, I was in a nice spot in the middle. I felt like where I was able to enjoy, you know, the, the full range of everything, uh, which was great. So I'll start with, you know, probably on the on the higher end of that that ha- included some advanced math that I didn't quite understand. Uh, but Micah Blake McCurdy uh, did a, had a great presentation on aging curves, uh, which involved a lot of new information about breaking aging curves into offense, into defensive impact, uh, things like that, and then also incorporating players who are not in the league, basically unobserved, uh, values instead of just the players that are in the NHL that we do observe. Uh, so it kind of gave me a new way of looking at aging curves. So I enjoyed that. I'll stop myself there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) some of the other, uh, some of the other things I liked, uh, there was a, a very hard hitting panel, uh, including some big names, uh, Ron Francis, Mm uh, Tim Ohashi, uh, Tim Ohashi, the, the Kraken's video coach, Um, And then there was the head strength and conditioning coach as well and and an amateur scout. And I liked having all four of those voices there in the same organization, but in different parts of the organization, all explaining how they incorporate analytics, how they use that data into each of their individual jobs and how they interface with each other. So I, I really enjoyed that panel. Um, I like the concept really on that one too. Um, you had some interesting quotes from, you know, you kind of got a sense for like the job that everyone does. I mean, Ron Francis, of course, being kind of at, at the top of hockey ops and basically needing to take in a bunch of that data from different people and make a decision based off of it. Um, you've got, you know, the strength and conditioning team that they get a lot of the like biometric type data and, and, how to work with players' health on that, and then you have to also present that back to the players in a way that is easy for them to understand, and in a way that doesn't overload them. Crucially, does not overload them. Um, you know, you have scouts where I mean, Dylan, you, you'd, be, you'd be quite qualified to talk about this one. But how the job of a scout has changed, where now when you're on a flight, uh, you know, going to wherever your destination is, you can be watching game tape from just about anywhere. uh, And it really increases what you're able to do as an amateur scout, given all that travel time that beforehand, you really weren't able to watch that video. Um, And then, of course, uh, the video coaches with with Tim Ohashi talking about that, um, showing the players video clips and things to work on, again, not overloading them. And what stuck with me the most about his presentation was um, him talking about the importance of Creating an environment where a player feels okay, feels safe to talk to you about something, maybe if there's something that they didn't quite fully understand from a video session, or maybe there's part of their game that they want to work on, where it feels to them like you're approachable and you're able to have that conversation where they don't feel overwhelmed or like they're being judged or anything. And it's something I wouldn't have necessarily considered right off the bat as far as the job of a video coach. But turns out that's actually a really important aspect of it. Yeah,
0: I was gonna say that this this was my favorite panel. This was my favorite presentation um, but for for all the reasons that you just said. But I also felt that you know for for Kraken fans listening to this one, it's it might be worth a listen just to be paying attention to the way they talk about the organization as a whole and how they all fit in within the organization. And one of the things we'd spent time talking about uh, in some previous post games and and last week on the deep dive was the overall culture around this team and the culture that the front office and and everybody really from Ron Francis on down or you know potentially up to ownership and on down has has built for this team and and it's a it's a really solid culture uh, ron francis stated several times during that panel about the idea of you know the, the most important thing is finding character individuals first and foremost, and then finding like, you know, what they're good at, what they're doing within the organization, what their specific role is going to be, how they're going to fit into the, you know, what cog they're going to be in the, the larger machine, not to like try to, you know, overly simplify anything with my analogy there, um, but that that it's really important to find the, the person first and then kind of go out and and figure out uh, the larger picture around that and and the person involves both what they can bring as far as their knowledge about their you know whatever it is that they're going to be working in, but also that they're a good person and they're a person that you know is going to uh, fight for what they believe in they're, they're someone that you can trust their opinion. they're going to give you an opinion that you can trust that opinion. <laughs> and I think that those are things that 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 was very important for me to hear because it was, you know, it was backing up something we already kind of thought about the Kraken, but it it made me feel really, really good about where everything's at for this organization and and how they're going to be able to approach really everything from the draft to strength and conditioning, to video coaching, to coaching in general, to how they're going to incorporate analytics within their decision-making, to how they're going to approach contract negotiations. Like, it just made me feel so good as a Kraken fan that, like, this organization, they get it. And they have people who get it and they have people in there who are really like good people. And they're people that are really passionate about what they're doing. They're not there because it's just a paycheck or whatever, right? Like everybody is part of that panel. One thing that you know also came across was just how passionate they were, how how knowledgeable about it and how excited they were to be able to talk about it. And that's another thing that you just want to see in any workplace is you want to see people like that. And so for me, I was just like, oh, my gosh, just like, find a spot for me in here like I just want to go work for this team because it just seems like an awesome environment that they've been um curating and I think that's part, you know, that's at play as far as what we've been seeing on the ice this year with the team as a whole.
1: Yeah, the the quality and the character of the organization I think was on full display um at the hat conference and I you know, it's not really the the point of the conference but I think that is a takeaway that a lot of people had uh, from seeing that and and we've talked about the Kraken's ability to just bring in quality people um, you know anywhere and everywhere since the team has started and it kind of builds on itself right and, you know the more good people you have in the organization the easier it is to attract more good people to the organization uh, and I, I think that was really on display and also it was a treat for me you know on the media side getting to getting to talk to and getting to meet some of those people that maybe you don't get the chance to see in the day-to-day when covering the team because you know you you talk with the players and you talk mm-hmm. with the coaches in, in what we do you know, day to day, but you don't necessarily get to see, you know, a lot of the, the, the front office, the analytics staff, uh, people like that. I, I had some great conversations with, uh, Namita Nandakumar and, and Danny Chu on the analytics team who, you know, I see them around, but there's not really an opportunity time to, to talk to them otherwise. And, um, it was great getting to meet them. I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed talking to them. Um, Namita was also a, a great, you know, kind of co-MC there with Allison too. I thought she did a really good job, uh, moderating one of the earlier panels and, um, you know I, I thought she did did well with that um, and of course she was a, a great Twitter follow back when she was allowed to tweet um, so I, I made sure to tell her that but um, yeah so I enjoyed that from the from the media perspective
0: yeah I, I think that was you know like I said it's a it's a chance for networking and it's a chance for everybody to be able to talk to them I mean so many people would go up there and present and then just be like hey if you got any questions you want to ask me something further I'm just here like, like just yep. come up and talk it's to me so afterwards easy. yeah and that's um that's one of the really really cool things about having an event like this and being mm-hmm. able to to host something like that here in Seattle so you know hats off round of applause all that good stuff to everybody who was able to make it happen um as for kind of just stuff I picked up because I wasn't able to to you know obviously take part in that aspect of it right I'm just mm-hmm. having to watch the live stream there was a couple things that you know um I noticed, and I felt like this this was something that I wish it was two days, like a two-day conference, <laughs> so that all the, like, kind of lightning round stuff, because uh, they had lots of lightning round panels and, and speakers and stuff. I wish that they could have had the time to, to more so kind of flesh out what it was there that they were there presenting, because they almost came across, you know, and I don't say this like, I'm not trying to be, like, mean or anything, because I thought everybody did a fantastic job, but they almost came across more, like, sales pitch-like, like, here here's like one example of what it is that i'm doing and kind of what it can be but like i don't have time to really like talk about it more so it's if you want to know more you got to come and talk to me kind of thing and that that was i was like ah, oh, but i'm not there i can't come and talk to you like, so it was frustrating <laughs> for me on the streaming side uh to to just like not be able to, to take advantage of of that being in person so um if this if this sort of thing was to happen again i would really want to try to to get up there and i'm sure other people felt the same way um now, as far as as some other things go, RJ, because I really enjoyed the myth busting panel. I thought that one was fantastic too. because I thought that was the the best example of how analytics can really help out what you're trying to do on the ice. Was here. Let's take something that that teams have thought about, that coaching staffs have thought about for for a long, long time. The idea of you know. Uh, how you're entering the zone, where you're entering the zone, who's entering the zone, how they're making passes off their offhand, all that kind of stuff, right? Are you entering strong side offside you know all that kind of stuff or the, the one timer question of if a lefty's passing to a lefty, they can keep the puck rotating in the same way. does that you know lead to better shot, shot up shot attempts and stuff the way some players feel like it does? those were kind of the two things that he he worked on myth busting and I believe he was from was it spot
1: track, sport track? Do you remember? Yeah, him? I'm looking at this. Hang on, I'm 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 making sure that we that we have yeah, this right. That I have players.
0: the right organization that he's with. Um, but I felt like that was that was like the quintessential. Like this is the perfect way in which analytics, hockey ops, coaching, player. All four elements can come together around something and, and really be on the same page and work out things. And, and I thought that that was really, really fantastic. It was a fantastic presentation. I would definitely recommend people um, look up on the VOD that one. I, I thought that that was really, really cool uh, because that's, that's always been the big question around analytics. I remember when analytics were more so starting to break through with NHL teams Right. Being at, uh, at a conference myself the draft conference in 2015, you were there as well. But I remember yep. there was a lot of people there that were, um, you know, in the analytics space and they were trying to break into hockey. And there was this real like, you know, effort of trying to explain like what it was, because you had I remember people, they were like, look, I've got all this data and they'd have binders of data and the hockey ops people being like, yeah, but what does that actually tell me? Right. Like, is that just going to confirm something I already know? or Are you going to tell me something new? Like, what what can you teach me with this? Right. There was that appetite for that that knowledge and that and that um, that data. Right. But it was it was like there was like this at the time anyway, uh, the, all the examples that I was I was seeing around me, there was like this this, you know, real like kind of disconnect almost. And what I liked about this conference was that disconnect doesn't seem like it exists anymore. Right, there's been that breakthrough of here we can have data and this is how we can actually like use it. Yeah.
1: It's it's one thing to be able to process this data and gain insights that you yourself can understand, being someone who has spent basically their entire, all their whole time, their whole career around this data. And it's another thing entirely to be able to present that uh, in a way that's concise that makes sense uh, to people who aren't intimately familiar with that data. And those are two different skill sets a- and. Um, just because you have one doesn't necessarily mean you have the other. And sometimes the latter especially can take practice. And it's something I think the analytics community as a whole has gotten a lot better at. Uh, yeah. And you see some people who are really just fantastic at both.
0: Yeah, no, it was absolutely fantastic to, to watch this. And there was lots of those, like I said, those presentations, even some of those shorter ones where I was just like, wow, that would be such a valuable tool. If I was running a hockey team to be able to have that in-house and have the access to that information and, to keep that information and maybe away from some of my competitors. Right. That was another thing Rod Francis talked about. And so I thought that, that it did a really good job. If you're someone out there, cause I haven't been the biggest, like, you know, proponent of, of analytics and stuff like, like around on the podcast and stuff. Obviously I come from a coaching, uh, from a scouting background. So I come from, you know, trying to just trust my eyes and all of that kind of stuff. I haven't been against analytics or anything, but I have been in that camp of like, just because you can prove something happened or say that something's happening how does that adjust what I would want to be doing as a coach or as a player you know what i mean like that's that's the that's the thing that has to happen and i felt like so many of the 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 presenters and so many of the talks and presentations did a really good job of kind of you know dropping You know, because again, they are there to, in some ways, pitch themselves and pitch their products. They want jobs (laughs) with teams and stuff, right? And so, uh, but I thought they did a good job of presenting data that I would see as very valuable if I was an NHL club.
1: Yeah. It's, it's all about actionable data. And I think there was a lot of that. Uh, there's one question I want to ask you, Dylan, because yep. y- you brought it up about Ron Francis talking about not really wanting to share the information too much. Cause mm-hmm. there's, you know, your competitors around you. And one thing on that panel that the amateur scout mentioned, Chris McDonald, uh, he, he talked about scouts lie to each other. Yeah. Really, they'll be, you'll be at an event and so be like, oh, there's no players here. And there's no players yeah. here. And all of a sudden teams, will be drafting a bunch of guys from that event. Um, so one Dylan, in your experience, is that true and two did you did you lie? Have you lied to other scouts have I ever lied um I don't <laughs> that's
0: that's a good question because at the WHL level and scouting in California, there was only a handful of teams that even had, california based right. scouts right so there it was a rare occurrence of which i would run across some but there were some there was one from Van, the vancouver giants that i'd run into one from the left bridge hurricanes that i'd run into that guy i don't know how much he actually ever saw of games he was always just going to the, whatever food concessions there was like just always <laughs> always like crushing ramen or something um as we're as we're watching a game or a tournament um just just You know, everybody needed to know that Um, there is that kind of element. I was also new and I was young, so I think I kind of got away with people being a little bit more open with me just because they wanted to impart some wisdom. They wanted to accept me and and, you know. I'm very happy and grateful that they did that they that they were willing to accept me as I was you know I started that at 18 and so they were very open and accepting of me and and they wanted to kind of help me out in any way that they could so to speak and so um, I didn't necessarily have to deal with too much of that I could I could hear it going on from time to time there was you know you always downplay your excitement about somebody like there, it, there, there was definitely that um, aspect of it and then you know when the combines would roll around and you have all the GM or the assistant GMs, there it was very much you know everybody kind of really splits up all around the arena, and you have these little pockets of each organization, and and whenever there's interaction between them, there not much is said. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, th- thank you for that uh, little look inside how it works. I thought of you when he said that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I got to ask Dylan about this.
0: Yeah, not not quite in the same situations as an NHL team scout. I got to think that there's a lot more pressure to keep secrets, and uh, maybe drop some lies there than as an as an 18 year old in uh, you know some ducks ice arena in Yerba Linda somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> watching 14 year olds play but yeah it was good I, I really enjoyed the conference I enjoyed the talk with um also between Allison Lucan and JT Brown and I'm and, glad you brought that up yeah. that was next on my I list. was gonna say if you want to if you want to kick us off with that one go for it
1: oh I mean I well I just thought that was a really good talk between the two of them First of all, the chemistry between the two of them is just—it's amazing. Um, I think just entertaining. Anybody who watched that, even if you, um, you know, weren't that familiar with hockey analytics or even hadn't seen the two of them before, it was just entertaining. Um, But I, I liked the angle of just. JT's journey of kind of being a former player, who when when you're an NHL player, you probably don't think a whole lot about the analytics in that side of the game, and uh, you know Allison, who uh, was not a former NHL player, but um, you know she's very in tune with the analytics side, and the two of them just kind of learning that's each other's half of the game together, um, yeah. and hearing how that it all happens. So I, I enjoyed that.
0: Right, and I thought that the you know the big takeaway from that, at least for me, and I feel like it is a very powerful one for um, everybody to take away from it, is the idea of you know, look, as a player, you can be open to that stuff, but again, it's that same situation of. You know, you can't just stick in front of a player, a sheet of paper or or a screen that says, hey, you're, you know, your course is down, you know, lately, like you got to like turn that around, right? They need some, they need it explained to them in some way that then can be actionable by them as players. What does that translate to me doing out there on the ice? And I got to think that coaching staffs in the last half decade have really, um, had to work on how how do we interpret this data and then also how do we explain that back to a player and and give them the tools to then go and work on getting better at whatever area it is that they need to get better. And so I really like that message coming from that of look, it's not it isn't just enough to have the data. You also need to be able to to find a way of explaining that to the player so that the player can, cannot not just understand it, but know what to do with it. And, and I felt like that's, you know, something that really not just when it comes to anal- bringing analytics into hockey, that's just the struggle of coaching in general. Right? right. You and I have coached, you know, especially when you're youth coaching, you're, you're dealing with, you know, kids, these aren't like professional athletes who are like, you know, their whole life and their, their actual job, they're getting paid a lot of money to really focus on this. Right. Um, but I think that that's a big part of it. And as we talk about things, you know, especially maybe here in this next segment when we talk about the PK, that's a lot of what coaching is, is just communicating with your players, finding ways of you know understanding how do how's how does this player best absorb information because in a lot of ways it's like teaching all kids if you've ever taught any sort of class all kids learn in different ways there are visual learners auditory learners kinesthetic learners there's all these different ways in which people process absorb information and then can go out there and use that information when doing something and so much of coaching that i don't feel like it's talked about is figuring out how to communicate to your individual players because they are all individuals and and how to work with them to to better, you know, the overall team as a whole and stuff. And so I like that that kind of gave us that that littlest glimpse into that aspect of what um, hockey and professional sports is all about.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and to, you know, to hear from JT and I like just that last question of like, what advice would you as a former player have for somebody who is trying to share these insights, but also make them, you know, something that, that the player wants to work with and, and just hearing that directly from him, I thought was really powerful.
0: Yeah, me too. I thought it was good. Uh, any
1: other things you wanted to talk about from C-Hack? Um, Let's see. I, I we kind of ran through the the notes that I had. Um, I mean, I just, it was a great conference. I want to thank Allison again Mm -hmm. uh, for for putting that on. And I I talked to her about that a little bit today. I said, you know, I I hope there's another one. She's like, well, let's give it a little time. I think she was a little exhausted (laughs) after all the time and work that she put into that first one. But, um, you know, to see how much goes into that, um, I I just want to thank Allison again, because so many people had such a great time at Mm -hmm. that conference. And, um, you know, she should know that, that you know, all that work she put in was worth it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so if you're if you're listening to this, you you want to know, or you want to go look up any of these um presentations or panels. I believe the 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 vod is still available on the Seattle Kraken's YouTube channel. Um, if you go to their YouTube channel, it might not be under uploads. You might have to click live or something like that, uh, depending on what interface you're accessing YouTube with. Um, but it should still be up there in which case you can go ahead and go through it. The schedule is available online too. So you can kind of get an idea of when to, you know, scrub through the video if you're looking for one particular presentation. But I I definitely recommend if you're interested at all, go ahead and give it a listen. I think it would be, um, a lot of fun for, for, for you if, if you're into that sort of thing. Um. All right, so I've been teasing it now a little bit. This is something we've talked about uh, really several games in a row now, RJ. has been the Kraken's <laughs> penalty kill, and it uh, hasn't been great as of late, uh, I think is maybe the best way of saying it, to be perfectly honest. Uh, so yesterday, RJ, uh, during that terrible uh, uh, Cowboys-Colts game, because that, that game was over <laughs> real quick, uh, it gave me a good opportunity to go in and look at the Kraken's PK from these last uh six games uh that goes back Mm -hmm. to the sharks game for everyone uh trying to pay attention to how far back that goes uh and so i only looked at the well i'll start with this okay uh in that time in those six games the krakens the kraken allowed 19 power play opportunities to opposing clubs those opposing clubs converted on 11 of those 19 all right. So that is obviously not very bad that that's a 58 percent um, power play percentage, which means the Kraken are only killing 42 percent of penalties right now, which is really not good. <laughs> right? um, yeah. Yeah. You could argue that 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 percentage number should be doubled uh, to 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 be there. Uh, and then the other thing that I wanted to throw out there with that, though, is, it, you know, it sounds like 19 penalties through those six games. That's a lot. I will say the Kraken are ranked 19th in the league, as far as penalty minutes per game. And that's sorted with number one being the team that takes the most penalties. So the Kraken are actually in the bottom half. They're, they're in the top or top half as far as being right. disciplined, right? And so I did want to throw that out there that, you know, the Kraken are doing a good job of trying to limit penalty opportunities. It's not like they're just allowing a bunch of power play goals because they're taking a bunch of reckless penalties. They're actually doing a good job uh, at least as the course of the season goes, maybe not so much in these last six games, but as, as far as being disciplined and trying to limit power play opportunities for opposing squads. Then I I went through and I broke down um, all 11 power play goals that they had given up. Okay, so all the shorthanded opportunities uh, that they, that they did, I, I watched them, I watched the replays of those goals, I made notes about what happened, I, I marked when they happened as far as how much time was left on the power play, what the score was of the game at that time, and when um, in the game that happened, which period in which it happened, and then I also marked who was on the ice for the Kraken. In all of these situations so here welcome to my little c-hack presentation here as i track all this data (laughs) let's go um all right so on the 11 failed kills okay uh we'll start with the kind of time stuff seven were in the first Mm -hmm. period so seven of the 11 goals against were in the first period i think that that just kind of tracks with hockey games i feel like more penalties are probably taken in the beginning we know certainly late in games refs kind of you know, swallow their whistles a little bit. So I don't know that, that there's a ton to draw from there. I guess I the one thing I will say is, as we know with this Kraken team, they never give up. They like to come back in games. They're really good at that. So the fact that seven of the 11 are in the first period doesn't totally freak me out too much. It means, okay, if that's going to happen, we could probably find a goal in the next 40 minutes or so if we need to. Um, the next one is three of the 11 occurred with 15 seconds or less left on the power play. So... That's that's not a ton when considering six of them had over a minute left on the power play. So what that tells me is they're struggling when the like from the moment the power play starts all the way through to the end. It's not like, oh, they're really good at killing them off for, you know, a minute 45 and then something happens. No, over half of them were scored when there was over a minute left on these power plays, which tells me that it's a it's a structural system issue. It's not necessarily guys are getting tired or they're caught out there too long kind of issue. Mm. Six occurred when the Kraken had a lead um three of them let another team tie the game uh that would be nine of the eleven so you know that also tells me and part of that is we know kraken have done a good job of scoring first in games because we know most of these occurring in the first period but most of them are happening when the kraken have a lead so that tells me hey kraken you're doing a great job of scoring fast (laughs) in games maybe just try to be more disciplined in the first period if possible Uh, and then things get really interesting as um we go into who was on the ice for these OK, so for mm-hmm. the forward groups, the the, the the most frequent members on the ice uh, was Yanni Gord, who was out there for five of the 11, Alexander Wenberg, who was out there for five of the 11 and Brandon Tanev, who was out there for six of the 11 um, power play goals against for the Kraken. Defensively, uh, Adam Larson was out there for eight of the 11 and Jamie Alexiak was out there for 10 of the 11 goals against. Oof. OK, so was a lot. <laughs> Yes. And, and so right away, that sounds terrible. It really sounds like, oh my gosh, Jamie Alexiak is, is totally like just awful on this PK or what, you know, there's lots of things that go through your mind there when you hear that. Right. But I'm going to say this, okay? Jamie Alexiak leads the team in average time on ice, shorthanded, followed by Adam Larson, followed by Brandon Tanev, followed by Alexander Wenberg, followed by Yanni Gord. So... I don't know. Yeah. So it's one of those, like, like when tracking the data, I was like, oh my gosh. But then as I, as I added more data into it, it was like, oh, so basically it's just gone actually in exact order of, you know, who's out there the most just happens to be out there for the most uh, penalty, you know, most goals against. So I don't know that there's too much to actually draw from there. uh, Just looking at the data, which means... You know, all of that other stuff kind of gets thrown out. So now it just comes down to the notes I made when actually watching how these goals were scored. As I was watching and trying to break down the video, how were most of these goals scored? Because I don't think that there's any sort of secret thing in in any of the other stuff that I was paying attention to. It all kind of tracked as far as I'm concerned. The number one thing that I, I made note of as I was just writing certain notes, and I was just putting down things that were, you know, just... Something that I would notice. So anytime I noticed guys bunching up, I would write bunch up. Anytime I noticed them chasing the play, I'd write chasing the play. Stuff like that. Uh, The number one thing that I wrote down was not pressing hard enough or reacting instead of being proactive. And by that, I mean there are so many on these, uh, of all of these, if you go back and you look at just about any of these 11 um, power play goals that the Kraken have given up in these last six games, it has been they they've stuck with the triangle plus 1 but they're not really harassing the other team and whoever that plus 1 is is not doing a good job of getting it you know getting in passing lanes They're not trying to be predictive. They're not trying to disrupt what the other team is doing. They're kind of just chasing the puck. And so the puck gets moved to somebody new. They just kind of skate over to the new player instead of kind of skating within a passing lane and trying to force them into the corner the way they were earlier this season. Um, You know, if you go back and you watch the video breakdown I did of what their power... power. Power play, what their penalty kill was, that was one of the things that really made it all work was that they were pressing the other team. They weren't giving them options. They were taking away passing lanes. And one of the things you notice too is the defense has been playing up a lot. They've been allowing plays to get behind them. And they're, you know, one of the things they got away with that earlier in the season because when they were playing up, they were playing into the passing lane. They were taking away the passing lane to the player down low. So it didn't matter that that player was behind them. Now, they've kind of just lost track of where those players are behind them. And so they're playing up and all that's doing is allowing a pass to get low. And then that player down low just gets a free look at the goaltender without um, being contested at all. Uh, So what I want to see from the Kraken is less like waiting to react when a puck is moved, being better about reading where the puck is going to be moved next, and then just getting refocused as far as Where is the passing lane from this player? Okay, this player has the puck. They have the puck. They control everything now. How can I disrupt or take away options from them? Because right now, they're just kind of skating in a straight line towards them, and that player will still have three passing options available to them wherever they are on the ice. And that's just way too many when you're playing down a man. That's the stuff. That's how we see these tic-tac. You know goals against us right. that we've seen in these last couple, it's because nobody's really making it hard or making really the opposing power plays have to think about anything at all. They're just <laughs> able to kind of go out and do the sequence of events that they want to do to be able to score on a power play. So that's been my big takeaway as far as looking at at
1: everything from these last six games and what's kind of been going wrong with the PK. So that's that's great. Thank you for tracking all that stuff, by the way. Appreciate you taking the time to do that. I've got a few questions if you're all all yeah, right Yes, that. let's go for it. All right. So when you talk about not taking away the passing lanes when you're going to mm-hmm. pressure the puck, I mean, is that just a matter of kind of as far as fixing that? Mm-hmm. Is that just keeping your head up, keeping your head on a swivel and trying to identify, OK, where are the other guys on the ice as opposed to the one that I'm looking at?
0: Yeah, because, like, if, if you think ba- if you think about, let's say, uh, a power play opportunity and let's say the, um, you know, Jared McCann has the puck. We'll, we'll look at this from the Kraken's perspective. Jared McCann has the puck and he's playing his normal spot kind of high up on the left side. All right, you know, as, a, a, you know, if, if the opposing PK knows that he has a couple options to him. He has the option to go down low to whoever's there. He has the option to pass to the bumper spot. Um, and he has the option to pass over to, you know, uh, uh, Vince Dunn because they're on the same unit together right at, back at the point. so if you're the opposing PK and you're going to go and try to pressure Jared McCann there, the best thing that you can do is is take away that pass down low so you want to the way you want to approach him is to is to approach him from that passing lane so that really the only safe play he has is just to kind of slide it back over to Vince Dunn. Because it's it's what's open to him. He knows he can't hold on to the puck forever. And and it just keeps things moving. And it keeps things in the offensive zone. But it's a low danger of pass. Like Vince Dunn's you know, not set up for a one-timer in that situation. He's just going to receive the puck. And now he's got to look for a passing lane. Like you can dictate a lot. Um, on the PK, if you really want to, as far as making the other team do something by sitting in certain passing lanes, by taking away the passing lane from um, those those high players on either side down low, you're forcing them to always have to go back up high. And then what you do is you can, once that Vince Dunn player has it, that that kind of central power play quarterback defenseman has it, then you, but depending on where you want to send the puck, where you feel like the, the least dangerous shooter is, you just approach them, covering the passing lane like back let's say let's say you now approach Vince Dunn covering that passing lane back to Jared McCann now you're forcing the pass you know to whoever's on the left side because that's all Vince Dunn has open to him and so it's it's you know what i mean like you can kind of dictate play you can keep things going um in in less dangerous ways and you can just kind of keep them endlessly cycling the puck if you're really keeping your head up, you're understanding where guys are on the ice. Now, obviously, players don't stay stationary forever. And this was a problem against the Ducks was they would do a good job of sitting in the passing lane at the very beginning. And then as as the one player is pressing and trying to force the play in one direction, everybody on the PK was staying still. The Ducks were not. They were still moving. They were creating new passing lanes. They were changing the angle to open things up for their guy. And so if you're a defender in this situation, you have to make sure you're understanding where that player is behind you, where the down-low player is, so that you can always be in front of them, always taking away that passing lane. So it is it is a group effort type thing. You have to understand whether you're the person pressing, where you need to be to take away a passing lane while you're pressing. And if you're the player not pressing, you have to understand how to take away the passing lane um, based on where everybody else is on the ice and where they're moving to. And and I just not seeing that kind of awareness really from anybody on the Kraken, like through any of these mm. goals, I wasn't seeing that head on a swivel, paying attention. Let me stick to this guy. Like just none of that was really happening out there for them.
1: Yeah. And you could certainly see that in some of the ones, especially the more egregious breakdowns. And I got one more question on yeah. this. Um, when the puck is up high, I mean, I'm talking about toward the point yeah. um, pressure on the puck carrier, because mm-hmm. that's one change that we we saw a very deliberate change last season yep. where when the Kraken were in a kind of a PK funk, I think they were being a little too passive yep. uh, on on the puck carrier when the puck was up high, giving them more time to make reads to make a play. And then at a certain point, it, just a decision was made by, by the coaches like, look, we're, we're just going to up the pressure on the puck carrier up high and we're, we're going to be very aggressive in that way um, it had very positive results at first you know some mixed results later um, but where do you think they're at with that right now and and if and like would you make a change there
0: yeah there, there just hasn't been a lot of that pressure or that pressure is coming really late like it's coming well after that player has received a pass and they've been able to take a look around and you know, figure out where they're going. And a lot of times you can see teams, um, you know, the more skilled puck carriers, they're almost toying with the Kraken PK. Like you, you can tell when a guy has kind of made a read, like you know he's looking around, he's scanning, and his head kind of pauses on somebody for a moment before he keeps scanning. You know he's going to that player, um, but he's waiting until that Kraken, you know, kind of pressure guy gets to him before he makes that pass, just to draw that extra defender out of the way. Really try to make it a four on three for the rest of his team, which is the toughest thing to kill off if you, if you think about it. And so I I want to see that's where that's where the proactive approach comes in, and this is something when i was looking at at the pk overall earlier in the year one of the things i noticed was i think morgan geeky might be the best penalty killing forward that the kraken have because he's really Mm -hmm. really good at boxing guys in, not taking away passing opportunities taking away passing lanes he's really good at keeping his stick out wide he'll take away one passing lane with his stick the other one with his body and the next thing you know he's just totally um backed somebody up against the boards right in that scenario the Jared McCann you know type guy um he's so effective at attacking those players because he takes away the their ability to pass it back to the Vince Dunn type with his body but he keeps his stick so active in the other passing lane that they can't get it down low either and there were so many times he was then just smothering them into the boards and i thought those that was when the pk was most effective was when you had guys like that um really really working hard and thinking about what they were doing and where they were, they were positioned on the ice relative to the other team and taking away those opportunities. But right now they're not, they're not pressing the puck carrier enough and they're not, they're not thinking about where the puck's going to be going next. They're just, they're just reactive. They're chasing the play. And if you're chasing the play, you sure as heck can't dictate the play. And I feel like all good penalty kills dictate the play. They keep the puck up high. They keep it to low danger chances. That's how you kill off opportunities. Um, You know, we had speculated, I had talked about the idea of, I didn't think they were doing a good job of clearing the puck. And there was a couple of these goals were re- the result of a failed clear, but not as many as I thought they were going to be. Like, that was definitely something that I didn't get any confirmation bias from, was a lot of these were just strictly the opposing team could just kind of walk around and wait until they found that gap in the defense or, or what it, whatever it may be. And, and the Kraken just never really kind of were pushing any sort of, you know, pk agenda on them and so i feel like that's what they need to focus on however they want to do it uh they just have to start doing that
1: yeah no agreed and i mean you know you got a better look than i did but that's just from the from the brief overview kind of remembering on the pk a lot of that kind of makes sense from from the moments that i'm remembering
0: yeah so it'd be curious i'd be curious like i didn't go through like the whole games i didn't watch the pks they were successful for i didn't even watch the full um you know, the PK opportunity for all of these goals against, it would be interesting to know, though, to to have the data on how often how much of the PK is spent in the Kraken zone with the other team controlling the puck, because based on these 11, you know, goals against, uh, I got to think that that number is is over a minute. And that's just something that you you know, no, no PK is going to be able to survive against that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. So that's what's going on at the PK. Uh, you know, it's it's just a hard thing to figure out. If they want to do a total shakeup as far as systematically how they want to approach it, that's fine. But the bottom line is the fundamentals of PK, what makes it work is dictating play, not letting the opposing team do what they want to do. And right now the Kraken are just not doing a good job of that, um, In you know, just at all. Like, that's just the
1: bottom answer. <laughs> and, and I will say, I, I just got back from practice today not a whole lot of special teams work in practice today now my theory for that is that maybe they were originally planning to do a lot of special teams work but we hadn't released the deep dive podcast yet so they couldn't listen to it so i mean it kind of threw a wrench in everyone's plan so sorry about that yeah but uh yeah we'll see if we get some more of that later
0: yeah maybe you know tomorrow morning skate something like that i'm sure they're i'm sure they're working on it internally video coaching all that kind of stuff with oh, yeah. everybody for sure I, I, for I get, there's as no much way. as we joke
1: about yeah you know, about that. there's, 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 no there's a lot a lot of actual resources yeah. dedicated and to that.
0: and to be honest you know for practice you're also getting shane right back in you know he's playing tomorrow so they had to kind of practice, you know, he's probably not going to be on the PK tomorrow. So they had to yeah. make sure to work him back into practice as well. I think that's part of it. Uh, but yes, so that's what's going on there. Um, hopefully I explained that in a good way. I don't know. I felt like I rambled a little bit. Uh, but, uh, I, I got out as much of the data as I could. I tried doing the C-Hack thing and I found a bunch of data points, but like I said, I, I it just with the players, it all just laid out exactly how the, often they play. So I don't know that we can really draw anything from it. <laughs> there's no key of like, wow, this one guy is out there all the time. So maybe he should just be off the
1: PK. Fortunately, can't, it wasn't that easy. Yep. <laughs> no, I mean, I'd like to see, I'd like to see one of those, a C hack just like, yeah, no, there really was nothing here. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, it confirms what we all kind of thought. Oh, well, I mean, it, there is value in that though, right? Like there is, is. And I'm sure, value. and again, there's a, of the people who really you know do this for real like i'm sure they come across a lot of that and then like okay on to the next question you know that's how it works
0: right you do you do need to answer those questions so it's very interesting stuff um happy like i said i'm just really happy that they streamed that conference i was able to to, oh yeah all of us at home were able to uh participate in our own little way. Uh all right, that's gonna do it for this episode of the deep dive, everybody. Super excited for tomorrow night against Shane uh, against Shane Wright. With Shane Wright against the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> Jeez. There you go, Uh thanks so much to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. And we will see you all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to take a moment to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over on Patreon.com slash Emerald especially our Terror of the Deep Tier patrons. Alex, Brian, Coop, Daryl, Duthin, Eli, Gary, Jared, Jay, Joey,
1: Joni, Joshua, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Maya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Scott, Sean, Sergeant Pickles, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Tyler, and Wendy. Thank you so much for making all of this possible. We really appreciate your support.